This is Betsy Jensen, and you are listening to Unstoppable Body and Mind, Episode 46, Neuroscience, Embodiment, and Pleasure, an interview with sex coach Danielle Savory. In this podcast, we learn to upgrade our brain and understand the power of our thoughts to heal and to create the results we want in our life. Become the person in control of your healing and make peace with your life. Become unstoppable, body and mind. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Danielle Savory. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, So glad to have you here. I'll tell you a little bit what I know about Danielle. I found her podcast about a year ago. She has a podcast called It's My Pleasure, which is the best name, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So good. And she's a sex coach, sex coach for women. And I really love her podcast because she talks about all kinds of things. And sex is just part of it. And it's very normal. And it's good, I think, for people to talk about it. The other reason I really liked um, Danielle's podcast is she talks a lot about embodiment and um, allowing pleasure. So Danielle, how about if you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to this work? Yeah, I I always uh, love this question. Tell me a little bit about yourself because it always comes out different, (laughs) right? And also like depending on what we're talking about, because, you know, my... You knowing your podcast and that it's chronic pain and illness and all of that, like that's a huge part of my journey and my background. And I'm sure we'll get into that, but that's actually what brought me to become a coach and into the work of embodiment and mindfulness. So my background's actually in neuroscience and that's what, you know, educationally kind of brought up in neuroscience. And then I also minored in Buddhist psychology. It was part of like my philosophy and a focus like on Buddhist, you know, um, philosophy and their background. And so I learned this scientific thing and I learned like this mindfulness piece, but I never put the two together. I mostly just did the philosophy because it gave me something interesting to talk about at parties and and you can't really go in and like talk about all the neuroscience and organic chemistry and that sort of thing that I was learning and so it was strictly because I really enjoyed it like that's what lit me up I loved talking about it I loved learning about it and then it wasn't till later when I had my chronic pain and I was bedridden for two years and everything just kind of felt like it was like caving in on me that I revisited my mindfulness sort of teachings, but now it wasn't from this place of like understanding and learning and this cognitive understanding, but I started to practice it. And I really started to practice meditation, practice mindfulness, practice all these embodiment sort of techniques to be able to help me out of like the darkest place I had ever been in my life. And for me to understand it and for me to really grasp it, it was was so helpful for me to bring in the neuroscience. So at that time, like now it's mainstream, but you have to understand like that's only really recently that it's more mainstream talking about meditation, talking about mindfulness. When I was going through my stuff, which was over 10 years ago, it wasn't mainstream. I live in Portland, Oregon, so we're very liberal here. So there's a lot of people that talk about meditation, but the way they speak about it was a language that I didn't really resonate with. You know, it was a little bit more on the woo-woo and it felt kind of hippie. And even though like my best friend was very into that and I loved her to death, I had a hard time getting over my like mental judgment of that type 
type of language. And uh, so I had to go to my neuroscience books and help myself understand. And this is at the same time that neuroscientists and neuropsychologists were actually bringing meditation and mindfulness into the laboratory and they started studying it. So at this time, I was starting to really reach out and find these other teachers and mentors like Richie Davis and Rick Hansen and all of these people that started to bring the science into mindfulness and meditation. And this is before they even started writing books, but I could find their studies or their articles in these more you know, um, harder to reach sort of places. I would fly to California so that I could like attend their lectures. These, this is where everything really began for me to put the two together in my own brain because I was noticing the effects in my body. And then I was like, I have to talk about this. I want to teach it. I want to. And so I started teaching in circles and then I became a coach and and then that led into doing it more just specifically on sex coaching and pleasure, because I think it's such a missing piece in so many different ways. And I really loved what I was finding in my own studies and in my own research, the link between not just the mindfulness and the meditation and how that helped me so much, but also in the brain science behind, behind sex. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. There was so much there. And (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if, um, I'm sure people would love to hear, you know, if you want to share a little bit more about your, your chronic pain and kind of the, you said you were bedridden for two years. Yeah. 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 Basically what happened was, um, you know, it's, it, I think it happens with a lot of people with chronic pain, you're looking for issues, or excuse me, you're looking for answers, right? You're looking for like, why do I have this? What's going on? All yes. of this sort of thing. So when things really started to switch for me, and looking back, there was like these little indicators, even in high school and in college of just like, my body starting to fail me or just kind of falling apart. And, you know, these longer periods of time where I was just experiencing a lot of pain. And then it kind of all came to a head. So I was doing a job that I didn't like. I had recently like quit. Um, I was wanting to be a brain surgeon and I decided I didn't want to be a brain surgeon. And so I quit on that path and I was like, okay, I'm not doing that. I know that it's not that. And one of the things that I realized was how much I had been doing things I don't want to say just out of validation or people pleasing, but there was just this high achiever in me that just kept going, 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 where I never really paused and was like, is this what I want to do? Is this the kind of thing that lights me up? And I just had this like spark of like clarity when my husband and I, we were living with my parents. This was before we were married. We were living with my parents. I just gotten back from England, just did this neuroscience program over there. And we, I looked at him and I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I want to go hiking. I want to be in the woods. I want to be with him. Like, why, who am I doing this for? And I realized I was doing it for like the quote unquote them, like out there, not yeah, really like who for are me. They? Yeah. Who are they? I don't even know. Like proving myself to the world, like proving my worth as a woman, like that I'm smart. I don't know. You know, there's so many layers to that, right. but it wasn't for me. So I quit. And then I was doing this job and 
it that's when stuff started just kind of picking up and then I got in a car accident and it was like low back pain and then the low back pain wasn't really there it was all over pain and it was you know what they were saying then was fibromyalgia but we were also looking at you know thyroid stuff we were looking at you know Hashimoto's lupus MS like all the things because people don't know really why we have pain in our body. And so there was, you know, they, we finally really landed on fibromyalgia, but there was still MS stuff because I couldn't, um, I would lose con- like feeling in my hands, like from like kind of my elbows up to my fingers where I couldn't use my hands. I couldn't grip. It was hard to like grab soap or wash my hair. So it was more my activities of daily living got to the point where, getting out of bed could be really hard on some days. And, and I was able to, it wasn't like I just laid in bed and was horizontal, like all day, every day, you know, I was able to get up and some good days I'd be able to shower and make food and do all that, but I couldn't have a job. I couldn't do most, you know, activities of daily living. Sometimes I'd have to see if my acupuncturist could come over to my house because I couldn't grip a steering wheel. I couldn't drive. Um, and, you know, it was really hard. It was, it was really dark period. And when I started to do mindfulness and meditation, when I met myself, I would go to yoga and luckily there was a studio near me. So I could, I could walk there and I would get to this yoga class and the teacher there, cause I told her about how much pain I was in and I could barely move. She's like, it's okay if you just lay and just follow your breath and imagine yourself doing the poses and the things that I'm talking about, even if you just lay horizontal. And so for the first few weeks, maybe in the first few months, I didn't really even do quote unquote the yoga. I just laid on my mat and I listened to her words and I'd imagine myself in my body doing the things that my body wasn't quite there to do. And I found my breath. And that's when I really noticed like my inner inner voice and fantastic. Yeah. And like my criticism and all of that. And that's when things totally switched as you know. (laughs) So did you find life coaching around that time too? No, I didn't find life coaching till later. Yeah. This was just like, Oh wow. Like, of course I feel this awful in my body. I'm literally living with the enemy. And when you start Mm -hmm. to understand the impact that, you know, inner talk can have and your inner critic and the way that you're speaking to yourself and treating yourself and you start to like really become aware of this other voice. It's like, how could I not feel like this? Like, of course I feel horrible because like I'm literally attacking myself and then, you know, your nervous system and everything that happens that creates more tension and it creates more inflammation and it creates all these things in the body. And I had no idea that was happening. Yeah. I remember the exact same experience. The first time I really journaled and let it all out. And my first reaction was to be super critical of myself because of how critical I was of myself. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, of course. No wonder I'm in so much pain. No wonder I'm not happy. No wonder I feel horrible. Like the thoughts in my head about myself were so horrible. And I think a lot of times we we kind of, when our body is, you know, failing us or it's, it becomes the enemy, right? Right. Yeah. Disembody. 
Yeah, totally. It's like we, you know, and I think that was one of the hardest things to reconcile during that time too, was I'm like, I don't know how to change my inner voice because right now I literally hate my body. Mm-hmm. My body is failing me. It's keeping me back from doing anything. Um, I was also struggling with fertility at this time. So I was like, I can't even get pregnant. I can't mm-hmm. even shower some days. I can't even do any of this. Like, why would I be kind to myself? I literally hate my body. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, you know, there's this gap of like, how do you get to even having that better inner voice? How do you even stop the inner critic? So mindfulness helped. Yeah. Well, I think it's the first step is awareness, right? So it's like the first step is like just being aware that that voice was happening. And, you know, then I was like, okay, so then you are aware of that voice is happening. And for me being the science nerd that I am, like, it's like, okay, what's going on when we actually speak to ourselves this way? What is the impact of speaking to myself? Not just that I feel awful and I feel diminished and I feel all of these things, but more to like the level of pain and tension and inflammation and understanding the stress cycle and understanding the pain cycle and all of these kind of things, when you really start to understand that you're like, oh, wait, this is actually key. <laughs> like mm-hmm. The way that I speak to myself is actually essential. And from that point, I really started to learn Uh, not just to have that awareness and that mindfulness, but how to start incorporating practices of self-compassion. And uh, there's a book that I highly recommend. It's called self-compassion with Kristen Neff. I'm not sure if you've mentioned yeah, that on the podcast before. I, I haven't mentioned it on the podcast, yeah. but she is like what who you always hear for self-compassion. Yeah. She's the, the yeah. gold standard. Yes. Yeah. So back in the day, I actually trained with her while she was still doing personal trainings and she um, was cool. the first person. Yeah. Super cool. She was the first person to really take self-compassion and bring it into the science world because it hadn't been quite quantified before. And so she was able to bring it so we could start studying it because back then, or not back, but like, you know, just nineties, early two thousands, all of that, like the focus was on self-esteem. And so she started bringing her own meditation practices into noticing the impacts of self-compassion and then find, you know, figuring out a system, like how to actually teach people self-compassion versus self-esteem. And then started to quantify that so she could take people that were practicing self-compassion into the laboratory and see the impacts. And that's when everything started changing. That's when things really were be able to get more mainstream. And so self-compassion was huge for me. Like I was like, wait a minute, I can accept my human emotions. Like I can accept that I don't feel good. I can be nice to myself. Like it was so foreign and it was such a struggle for me at the beginning because it's just not really how we're socialized. And it's such a totally different skill than we've ever been taught. And that's when everything really started flipping for me in my experience of my own body. Yeah. I think so many people think with self-compassion, if I start to feel compassionate towards myself, then I'm just going to, you know, never care about anything. They go to the extreme, right? Like if I'm not constantly beating myself up, then I'm going to be good for nothing, completely worthless. 
And I, I do try to teach people about how your self-worth is independent of that. But a lot of people mm-hmm. with chronic pain do have a history of being high achievers. Yep. People who are always pushing themselves, perfectionists, mm-hmm. people pleasers. <laughs> yep. All of it. Yeah. And so it is, it becomes this thing where like, wait a minute, like, <laughs> am I going to lose myself? Am I not going to be able to achieve? Am I not going to be able to get goals? Is my house going to be a mess? Is my body going to be mad? It's like all the worries that come in with like the idea that being nice to myself, I'm going to completely lose control and unravel. And it's simply not the case. And again, that's why I think like Kristen Neff's, you know, uh, her studies are so important because they've shown actually the exact opposite, you know, and when we really start to pay attention to even with our children um, and noticing like how our children respond to, let's say like a coach that's constantly being harsh and yelling at them and you're not good enough and you're blah, blah, blah. And what's the matter with you versus the children who have a coach are like, okay, you did your best. Let's go ahead and give it a try next time. Like that didn't turn out exactly how you want. You can see the ones that thrive and the ones that just like whittle and end up quitting and all of that. So all the studies really do support, like there's no study that supports the fact that being harsh on yourself and being unkind actually moves you forward. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's good to just remember, like, this is not just someone's theory. You don't have to take someone's word for it. Yeah. This is science. Yeah. It actually helps with healing too. Mm -hmm. Yes. The environment that you're in, you're creating these neurochemicals by your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then neurochemicals are entering your bloodstream. And if it's cortisol, you know, and you have that prolonged amounts of time, you are going to have more inflammation. Yep. Yep. And aggravate everything. It aggravates everything. It makes everything exasperated and worse. And you know, the tension, the inflammation, like it just, you get into these cycles and then the way that your body's feeling re-triggers that cycle into your brain. I'm under attack. I'm threatened here. And it's just, it's hard to get out of. And so when you start to not just speak more kindly to yourself, but begin to allow yourself to like have this pain and have compassion around it. That's when everything starts changing. And like, that's also, you know, that combination of not just speaking kindly to yourself, but like you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, really becoming embodied, really dropping into your body and needing it. Yeah, for sure. I have people, you know, close their eyes and just imagine going into their body and describing what their sensations mm-hmm. are. And it's foreign to a lot of people. They've never done it. They don't think sometimes they can even do it. But but the more we do mm-hmm. it, the, the easier it gets, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was very foreign. I think it's foreign for everybody at the beginning. It's really tricky to get into your body because we're not taught and we're disconnected. And, you know, I think I find it even more with women. We're very disconnected from our bodies um, for a number of reasons and the way that we've been socialized to kind of like put on a grin and, you know, smile and do it anyway and not encouraged to tap into our own desires and what we really want, but more of like what our family or our husbands or our, our children or, you know, society wants from us in general, that we kind of have to shove it down. And the more that we shove it down, 
the more we just ignore that those are even there and we disconnect. And so learning how to reconnect with your body, even, you know, a lot of times that's because why we are in chronic pain, because we've been shoving it down for so many years. So it's like, we have to reintroduce this like connection and relationship that's like trusting and loving and safe with our body again. And then we can meet the discomfort, then we can meet the pain within the body. So did you find any other techniques helpful? Definitely monitoring your mind is always a good first mm-hmm. step. Mm-hmm. Learning about the self-compassion. Were there, there any other things you found helpful for yourself? Yeah, like a million things. A million things. It's such a journey. Yeah. Um, you know, one like just really easy, obvious one for me was nature. Just there was this connection that I had with nature that allowed me to do those things easier. So I ended up, you know, really my path to recovery was through walking and through hiking. And I noticed when I was in nature that I was able to just kind of, you know, it sounds woo woo, but almost like absorb like the vastness and the bigness of the nature where it made my pain feel smaller and it made me just connect in a, in a bigger way. So that was one of the things. Another thing was like just during this embodied practice. And one of the things I talk about with my clients who have pain in their body and they're trying to have pleasure and have better sex is understanding that sometimes it feels like it's everywhere. Sometimes the pain feels like it's just this all-encompassing experience. And that is the way that our brain has learned to approach pain because to, to the brain, it is the most important thing to pay attention to is our pain because our pain is signaling to us there's something wrong. So we better pay attention to it. So this by default, by the way the brain works is going to exasperate the pain. So it's like really trying to get our attention. Like, do you, are you paying attention here? Like there's something wrong. There's something really wrong. And so learning, like, as you go into the embodiment and you start to pay attention and like you said, like, where is it? And what am I noticing? You know, one of the things I found was really, really helpful was to, and this is what I help my clients with too, is like tracing, like if you are going to find the border of it and take a Sharpie marker and you kind of draw around exactly where the pain is, and then you stay with that border and then you keep staying with that border. And what you notice over time is like, it actually isn't as big as you thought. And then maybe all of a sudden it goes from your low back to like your elbow to your chest. And you'll just notice it like moving around. And that realization, when you start to pay attention to that, Mm -hmm. um, you realize there's the rest of your whole body that isn't hurting, that might be neutral, and it's has an opportunity to actually feel good. And you might notice pleasure alongside the pain, you'll notice your nourishing breath alongside of the pain. And when you start to realize like, the pain isn't the only thing in existence right now, this is not the only it's not like you're just a pain person. You are a person who is experiencing pain in this one particular area. And just even that kind of language allowed me to open up to all this other stuff. And when you start to see the rest of your body is there to support the pain and hold the pain in a compassionate way, that would help the pain move through. And over time, it really helped eliminate it, to be honest. And so that was a huge part of it. Um, And then, you know, because I 
help women with pleasure, like connecting with pleasure and really soaking in the good of pleasure and marinating in it. And because our brain has a natural negativity bias and it's looking for the pain, again, coming back to, to pleasure and not just noticing it, but like feeling like you're soaking it in, like it's becoming a part of you, becoming a part of your brain, becoming a part of your whole being. And over time, what that does is it almost creates a buffer system. It creates a buffer system of resilience and, um, you know, a nourishing like refuge within your body to help yourself through the pain. Yeah, that is so important. A lot of times people want to fight their pain or push it away. Or, yeah. And, and we do focus on it a lot when we have it. And it yeah. feels almost unsafe not to focus on it, I think, to our brain sometimes. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. And, and the pleasure, you know, for sure, there's, there's the sexual pleasure, which is so important. And, you know, as human beings, sexuality is part of our, our energy, I think, you know, yeah. what makes us a whole being. Yeah. And there's other kinds of pleasure too, that, that is, they're there, things that we'd take for granted, probably, right? Simple mm -hmm. things. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, it's both, you know, and, and working into sexual pleasure. Sometimes we can't even just jump straight into sexual pleasure. It's learning how to receive pleasure in general from daily pleasures, you know, in, in the senses. And one of the things that I, I really emphasize and talk with my clients is sensuality is just paying attention to the senses. And when you learn how to do that, then it's easier than to translate that to your own sexual pleasure, right? But it's learning how to be with pleasure and pleasurable sensations in general to work up to more of the sexual pleasure where there tends to be a lot more blocks, mental blocks there, but you've now practiced like learning to, you know, engage with pleasure in your body. Yeah. And receive pleasure, even receiving just in general is such mm -hmm. a hard thing for us yeah. sometimes yeah. in our society. Yeah. Especially this time of year, we're about to go into Christmas and giving is so much easier and more natural for most of us than receiving. Yeah. Yes, almost for like sure. We think it is a weakness to receive where it's really a strength. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's very, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. <laughs> you're and, flipping and, the whole narrative. Yeah, you're, you really are. And yeah. do you ever find that it um, just gets out of control with some people? They just turn into complete hedonists and they're out of control once they start allowing <laughs> no. pleasure. <laughs> no, never. I hope yeah. you would say that. No, it's funny that you bring that up because that is actually, um, it, it is a fear and a trepidation that comes with a lot of the women that I work with. They're like, oh, I'm afraid, you know, then I'm going to be like a slut or I'm going to be <laughs> like just walking around, just like wanting sex all the time from all these like people. And what if my partner can't fulfill it? Then am I going to be a cheat? You know? And I'm like, okay, this is, <laughs> yeah. no, come on, brain. No. <laughs> yes. Like, like it's just your brain's way of being like, don't change. Let's come up with this, you know, scenario where things go very, very much to the extreme. And it's really just our 
fear of losing control, right? That all of a sudden we're going to tap into this pleasure in our body and that that pleasure is going to lead the way. And, and it's the way that we've learned about pleasure. It's the way that we've learned about sexuality and thinking that it's like this, something that's like a drive. Like I hate when people say sex drive, because it's really not a drive and thinking that we have no control over it. It's just like this animal instinct that just takes over our body. And there's nothing that we have to say about it. And that's not how it is. And it's not what (laughs) women that I work with experience. Yeah. Are there any other common misconceptions that you see with, with generally the women that you work with? Oh, I mean, we could talk for eight hours. So many. (laughs) I mean, it's like all misconceptions. That's why we're in this position to begin with as women is like, we have all the misconceptions about what sex means, what it means for us all of these things. And that's creating us our block to be able to connect, you know, with pleasure of like what it should look like. And when we are worried about what it should look like because of what we've been exposed to in the media in our families and everything else, then these all become misconceptions because they're not actually based in reality and how the body works and all of that. So yes, I would say there's a million misconceptions. Um, but yeah, I think one of those, that's a, that's a big one is the fear. The other one I would say is um, just that, like, I, I would say where it comes to like men and women, like that men have this high sex drive that they can't control and that they need it. It's like an actual physical need mm-hmm. that that's just BS. <laughs> <laughs> they might think that way, but a lot of that is the way that we've socialized yeah. men too. Oh yeah. True. Yeah. Right? We can't tease that apart. We just don't know. Yeah. So it sounds like this is what I teach people too, is that this journey is very individualized for you. Mm-hmm. And of course, anytime we have expectations of things being a certain way that can lead to disappointment. So yeah, just realizing this journey is about you and, and what you really want from life, what you need. And I think it's like the difference. I think, um, sometimes we talk about like what we need and, and I think that becomes like a catch all too sometimes, because especially with women, we can really convince ourselves we don't need a lot. Right. And so it's more even leaning into like, what do I want? Like, what is my desired result or my desired outcome? And what's going to like be of service to me to be able to get there rather than getting caught in this phrase of like, what is it that I need? Because that becomes, especially the way that we're socialized, that that can become even just a heavy question, right? Because when you're asking for help, like when you have chronic pain and you're asking for support or asking for help and you're asking the question, well, what do I need? It's like, well, your brain can come up with a ton of reasons that you don't actually need help. You don't act actually need support that you could manage, you could do it. And, you know, even with, when it comes to like sex, it's like, well, I don't need it. I don't need these sorts of things. And, and understanding we really get stuck in this like needy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like this needy cycle. And instead being like, well, what, where is it that I'm wanting to go? If I'm really wanting to, you know, be in a place where I feel supported in my body and in my community and experiencing less pain, 
what is the thing that I could do that is going to help me along that journey? You know, when it comes to our sexual pleasure, like maybe it's not something you quote unquote need, but like, what is it that I want? And what's the next step to help me move along that path more? Yeah, I think that is so important. Just thinking and, you know, you can get overwhelmed with the big picture, but what is the next right step? Yeah. Okay, so if there are some women, Danielle, that are experiencing chronic pain and are interested in learning more about their pleasure, but maybe they don't have a partner right now, what would you suggest in that situation? Yeah, well, I think the thing to remember with whether you're partnered or not, the first thing, especially when you're dealing with pain, is it feels kind of like a misnomer. I don't ever know how to say that word. Misnomer. Oh, (laughs) anyway, they don't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 They don't know how to connect. Right. And so understanding like what I said before about that, you might have pain, but that pleasure is also possible for, so for anybody, you know, listening to this, understanding that just because you have pain does not mean you can experience nourishment and satisfaction and pleasure in your body. So starting even just with that thought, like, Oh, I'm going to be curious. Like here's the pain and here, this does feel good. And practicing, like focusing your attention on also what feels good, not because you're shoving the pain down. Like you can give it a friendly nod, like, Hey, I see you pain in the body. And also right now I'm going to focus on what feels good. Like I see you, you're welcome here. And I'm going to focus on what's good. And if you know, and communicating, even if you are a partner to your partner, that things might look a little bit different as you're beginning to navigate your body with pain and helping find pleasure. And I really think the best place to start is with self-pleasure, because when you start to learn how to connect with your body in a, in a way of self-pleasure and how to tap into that, how to connect with those sensations, then it's easier to communicate that to your partner. So, you know, and I like to really use the word self-pleasure rather than masturbation, because it's not always involving the genitals, you know, and I think that we have so much shame around the word masturbation, regardless of how you've been brought up, of course, in certain cultures and, you know, certain, if you've been brought up in a religious community, then a lot of times like that is such an off limit sort of thing. And so understanding that you connecting with your body, whether or not the genitals are involved, like allowing yourself to feel that pleasure, allowing yourself to touch yourself with love and with care and feeling those fingertips or those hands, you know, massaging you, touching you using a little bit of oil and really connecting with this sensation of touch in a loving and appreciative way. And if that does go further, if that does become, you know, with the genitals involved, like really giving yourself like so much love and so much space and curiosity, and this is okay. And I am feeling good. And I'm going to keep following this path. And that really will help like the entire journey, especially if you're experiencing pain and if you're experiencing shame. Yes. That sounds so loving, so sweet. And I loved how you said like nourishing. I mean, I think of it as like this self-care, it could be, this is a form of self-care. Oh, it's like the most ultimate form of self-care. There you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, whether it's with a partner or with yourself or, you know, even just not in a sexual way, allowing pleasure. Yeah. It's, it's nourishing to you. It allows you 
to transform so that you can better help and nourish other people, right? Yes. Yes. I'm sure you see this with your work. Have you seen how women's lives have transformed in other ways when they start working on this area? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I just got done with a client call um, this morning and she has just like exploded in her career. Like, like it's, she was like, I just don't even know how to reiterate this. Like, it's so crazy that when I started to prioritize pleasure in my life, how all she was like, I know I heard you say it before, but she's like, honestly, I thought it was all BS. She's like, but now I'm seeing that like prioritizing pleasure, like it's allowed her to be more confident. It's allowed her to get out of the stress cycle, out of that like triggered state that we're talking about, you know, opening up more of like the creative parts of your brain, the problem solving parts of your brain. Like there's so many benefits, um, in like in the brain itself, like neuroscientifical benefits of this sort of work that it does, you know, help in all areas. It helps, you know, the way that you're present with your family. That's the one I hear a lot. Like I'm just, I actually enjoy my kids more and you don't normally put that hand in hand, like, oh, I'm going to improve my sex life. And then I'm going to love my kids more, but you do like, Because you learn how to be more present and you learn how to enjoy and you learn how to like absorb pleasure and like find delight, you know, and that's so much of what our path is with our children. And so just learning that this isn't just about sex, like, yes, it is, but it's also just about you as a human being becoming a turned on person, becoming somebody that feels alive in their body and well and nourished and all of these things and, and more loving and more appreciative and more compassionate. And all of that is going to bleed into every single area of your life. I think so too. I've heard of the sexual energy described, I think from Chinese medicine as, you know, it is a place of um, creativity, obviously mm-hmm. you're creating life. Yeah. And if you're not creating life, you still have that energy. And so that oh, yeah. creation can be used for your business or for creating, you know, art, whatever you can create. For sure. And, and it's like, you know, for those listening, depending on what camp you're in, like talking about energy, talking about these kind of, you know, the sexual energy that might totally resonate with you, or it might feel totally woo, you know? So understanding, like we have different languages of talking about that. And when I'm talking about like harnessing sexual energy, you know, and using it creativity, that might sound very like out there but there's also just scientific things that are happening like the actual gray matter that you're working on increasing in your brain and then the other parts that are working on decreasing it gives you access to parts of your brain that are involved in imagination that are involved in creative process that are involved in rational thinking and efficiency and focus so I'm not just talking like in this woo woo you know ethereal way like there is scientific proof because of what's released, not just during sex, but as in your journey towards sexual growth, that you're working on creating long lasting traits in the brain itself. Mm, Yes, that is amazing. And (laughs) I love, you know, it's a journey, right? We're not trying to just get to this place and have a bunch of orgasms. And yeah, it's not about one orgasm here. No, yeah, not even one. (laughs) Yeah. 
So are there, are there any other insights or tips you would like to share? I think I would, it would be great to get, you know, some resources on any of the neuroscience, if you have any books or recommendations. Um, well, the self-compassion book is the main one that I would say if you're just, this is a really old one, but it's still one of my favorites. Um, Rick Hansen, the Buddha's brain. Um, I really enjoy that. A lot of the science has changed since he wrote it, but I still think some of the basic principles are there for understanding the stress cycle and that sort of thing. Um, and those are just kind of like some of the basics. A lot of the stuff that I read is the actual neuroscience papers, which I wouldn't really recommend to anybody unless you're like used to reading scientific journals, like it, you're not going to, you're not going to enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I talk a lot about this stuff on my podcast. Uh, you know, as Betsy mentioned before, it's my pleasure, you know, checking that out. Um, and you know, any tips as far as just like noticing and really giving yourself grace, like this is your human brain. This isn't a you thing. This isn't an isolated experience. Even if your situation or your story might be different, the more and more you can understand that the way that you're reacting or speaking to yourself or doing all of this isn't a you thing. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. Like you're whole and amazing and you have a functioning human brain. And when you can start to pull away and and um, start of making it less personal is when you can really begin to like make some headway on your own work. Cause it's not like, you're not failing. You're not broken. You're not whatever you have a human brain. It's like, Oh, good. Like I noticed that's going on. And now these are kind of the things that I want to tweak because I want to feel different in my body. I want to connect with this person. I want to, you know, help myself not feel so shameful and not feel so bad about my sexuality, whatever it is, you can really start to grow in those areas because it's not so personal. Yes. I think understanding the brain is so, so helpful Yeah, just yeah. to know this is, this is the survival brain. This is how we're programmed. It helped us to evolve to this state, but then we can evolve past that too. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. I know you have a lot of good content on Instagram too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, sex coach it, it's women? the sex coach for women. Um, that might change. So just okay. always like always search for Danielle Savory, because even if I change my handle, you'll still be able to find me that way. And that's only because Instagram is getting more strict and strict on even the use of the word sex. And so I've been banned before. I don't want to get shadow banned. Like there's all, all of these things, even though it's, you know, educational and helpful. Um, that yeah. they use is so controversial. Yes. <laughs> Look yes. at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you do coaching as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my one-on-one -on -one coaching is going away in 2021. So it, my only way to work with me will be through my group coaching program. And that's called better sex in 90 days. And it's an amazing delicious, you know, experience with other women in the group. And even those that were so hesitant to ever talk about this in a group, you know, we just had our last session actually last week for this last cohort and people were just all crying and like, I love you. And where can we all meet up again? And they're creating their whole own Facebook because they felt so in love and supported by the community. Uh, it's really a amazing experience. And then you also just get lifetime access to all of the resources. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. I, like I said, I think our work 
really goes hand in hand. I just really appreciate you sharing your story and, and your wisdom and giving people hope. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on and doing this work. You know, I think that I would have found this so incredibly helpful, this podcast and all the stuff that you're doing when I was going through my stuff, because it's needed. <laughs> People need to hear this, that it's not a hopeless situation and that they can find relief. So thanks for your work. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, Danielle. Take care. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned a little bit about your brain today that helps you in your life like it helped me. Please be sure and subscribe and leave a review. And of course, be sure and share this podcast with someone you know that wants an unstoppable body and mind.